Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com. That's K-O hyphen fi.com forward slash alone or you can go to alone with invisible people.com forward slash support us to find out more thank you hi i'm rebecca gallardo the host of alone in a room with invisible people i am here today with author and teacher holly lyle and today's topic is scene dissection and this is a workshop holly has spent a lot of time putting this together she has spent many hours uh there is a worksheet we had we had a number of scenes come in but some of them didn't fit the parameters so we have four that fit what we were asking for you could not give us just an idea of a scene um and it had to have been actually written out like a scene so yeah we we had a few that we couldn't use but these four are examples and I think you said that there were different levels of writing skill involved yes and and I I Becky was very careful not to read them first Mm -hmm. um and so she is going to be doing reaction um after she finishes reading them she'll she'll be bringing in a fresh listener perspective to it I read the crap out of them marked them all up um, and then did the actually did the worksheets for each of them figuring my way through um, and so this is you're, you're getting two different perspectives here um, but Becky is going to be doing the reading and then I'm going to be going through and doing the dissection and then it's and it's we are anonymous on who wrote these yeah but uh, that we we do have some very good different representative levels of beginner through damn near pro um with these with these scenes so you're going to get a lot of different perspective here and and holly has made the worksheet so again it's just like any of the other worksheets for the workshops you can download it for free there is no email that we require you don't have to get it from holly's site where you actually do have to have an account in order to download the things that she offers it's alone with invisible people.com Look for the episode on scene dissection, and we will have the download there. Again, it's a one-click download, so it's super easy. And then you can do the same kind of scene dissection, especially if you're having an issue with not just, you know, one scene, but, you know, a whole bunch of scenes. I think maybe dissecting a couple might help you in the future scenes that you've got going on, and you don't have to do the entire worksheet every time. So. Exactly. Yeah. No. This is this is definitely a teaching yourself how to fix problems kind of worksheet. You don't want to go through this process with every scene. Yeah, I can imagine that would just be too much. Yes. All right. So we are starting off, and again, all of these are anonymous. So I just wanted to say thank you to the brave souls who sent us the scenes to dissect. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, thank you. Oh, God, so much from both yeah. of us. It's it's really <laughs> not an easy thing. 
and that you you have to be brave in order to send something to somebody who you know the whole point is that they're going to take it apart and mm -hmm. specifically try to find the errors and try to also find the good find the important but it's it takes a lot of courage to send in your writing especially considering that we've talked so often about how tender people are when it comes to their work so yeah so so these are some brave brave souls who have contributed to your learning how to do your work better <laughs> and thank you so much for all four of you guys yes okay so the first one i'll start now as I turn on to the main street, my creaky old bike screeches. The intruder should be out of earshot, I hope. Still, I pedal faster. Hey, he calls after me. Wait, I mean, a tense. Oh, French, great. Sorry, that's me. <laughs> um, back to the story. I look over my shoulder, and sure enough, he's chasing me on another bike. Great, I should not have left all the bikes out on the street. There goes my element of surprise, my biggest advantage. Wait, please, attend, s'il vous plaît. S'il te plaît. Come on, mon François is really crap. Je suis désolé. He speaks English. Well, at least he'll understand the abuse I'm going to hurl at him. Okay, so I need a change of plan and I need it fast. I turn to the left to steer him away from my place. I don't want him to know this is where I live. I want him gone, even if he speaks the same language as me. I've Kit Kat to talk to. At least Kit Kat doesn't talk back. At least all Kit Kat wants, is, wants from me is food and head rubs. I realize I've set us in the direction of the burnt down house. I don't particularly want to go there, but maybe the shed is still there. I might find something in there to keep him at a distance, like a rake or a broom. Risky, I suppose, because everything might have gone up in the blaze. But if I want to change direction, I have to turn around and speed past him. If he realizes what I'm up to, and he will because the road is pretty straight and he'll see me coming, then he can block the road with his bike and I don't think there'll be enough room to, for me to squeeze through. And where else am I going to lead? Back where he came from, I suppose. Keep him as far away as possible from my end of the village. I take a slight bend in the road and do a 180 degree turn, then gather speed as fast as I can on a bike with two gears that needs oiling on a dusty country road. Hey, what are you doing? I'm heading straight at him, hoping he'll blink first. We're playing chicken. Oh, bicycles. Oh, I think it's supposed to be on bicycles. It's more than a bit insane. I suppose doing stuff that's more than a bit insane is the new normal. He's keeping to his left ever so slightly, so I aim for the gap to my left between him and the roadside bushes. I pedal as fast as I can, but I'm aware I'm not really that fast. All he has to do is stick an arm out and he'll get me. So when I'm almost caught up with him, I lower, I duck lower over the handlebars. Okay, so <clears throat> we started with a, a beginner scene that has a lot of beginner mistakes. And I want to say this as a writer who started out as a beginner who made all of the same mistakes that I am going to point out here. So um, let me start by just before I go to the worksheets, I'm going to tell you um, the basic mistakes I found. So the first thing... Um, 
I want to say is that there are some very good things about this. Um, it has, there is some world building that's in it and the world building is very, it's worked right in. It's not lumped on the top of your head with this is, this is the way the world is. And this is, um, it, a, a listing of all of the different pieces of the world. They are worked in, they're implied. Um, as I turn onto the main street, implies a town and houses, but it doesn't say, okay, as I, as I pull onto this particular street by these particular houses that look like this, and it, it's, it's light world building. This is a good thing. Um, my creaky old bike, okay, so this is a world that has bicycles. It's, again, this is world building. It shows us without telling us. Um, another piece of world building uh, is, or a piece of character building. I, I should not have left all the bikes out on the street. This implies that this person is in charge of the bicycles, that there are more bicycles, that there is some sort of thing in the village that is related to the bicycles. Um, that is also related to, I'm guessing her, the gender was not, not actually stated here. Uh, and we know that the person who is chasing is male. So I just kind of guessed female. Um, yeah. if I'm wrong, I apologize. Well, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can, you can pull out of, uh, anyone seeing you have to be able to assume certain things. Your brain just automatically fills in gaps. Right. Um, so that you're understanding better. And yeah, I kind of got that too. I felt like um, the, the the bikes, there was a lot of repeti uh, repetitive words and stuff. But yeah, the, the bikes, it's like, okay, so she, she probably runs like some kind of bike rental thing or maybe, mm -hmm. um, you know, just maybe she uh, fixes up bikes or something like that. There was also the burnt down house. I like that. That was a neat little element in there because it gives you a, a cool feeling the other um world building was kind of like the the simple little details about the road and uh the different size the fact that it's kind of narrow it gives you this kind of um image in your head and because they're speaking french too sort of <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah or or the uh, the 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 fact that there is french there the right. fact that she speaks english but that the fact that he speaks English was a point that had to be pulled out makes you think that, okay, well, they, they're living somewhere where the main language is French. Exactly. And also, yeah, and that, that was one of the things that caught me that was very good. Also, that he thinks she speaks French, which yes. lets us know that the guy who is chasing her does not know her and does not know very much about her. Yeah. Which raises a lot of interesting questions yeah um, i liked the the questions that it was raising because it's also he comes across as very non-threatening um, because he, he keeps saying please and he keeps trying to speak to her in really bad french um it, it comes off as slightly humorous but there's also that element of world building behind her her action which is run away i just want to deal with what i'm assuming is a cat um, I just want my cat. I don't want anything else. I don't want other people. I don't want to have to deal with this. So it kind of, there's that question of what's going on in the world mm -hmm. that is gain, garnering this kind of reaction from her. Right. Okay. So um, there were a couple of other things in here um, that I noticed is that the scene moves from 
a town into what I have to assume is the country because all of a sudden they're on a dusty country road. Now this is, uh, this is both a good thing and a bad thing and that the scene leaps without transitioning, without showing how you get from one place to the other or having having, you know, having, well, you know, uh, I made it out of the town into the country. One minute we're driving toward a house, the next we're flipped around, and then the third minute we're out in the country already, and it was kind of a, a jarring leap. Um, okay, maybe, I mean, I didn't, because it because of the French and because it was a surprise he spoke English, mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed, like in my brain, that it was just all one big area, that it was just a country town. Which, oh, okay, i yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Plus, I mean, not all towns have like paved roads. If you go through where I live, um, and you're driving around, even in even in the main part of town, you can take, <laughs> you can turn off right into dirt roads, like all over the place. So, to me, there was no real leaping. I guess okay. There, it, it, it all felt kind of cohesive as far as the action and it didn't feel like it was it was there was any it, it felt like it was very fast and compact the scene okay okay I I was taking a mention of the village and then the mention of a country road and and seeing that as being a little farther apart I guess forgetting that depending on how what on the size of the village you actually can go straight from the village to a country road well, yeah, without plus any transition said, transition whatsoever. Yeah, they said yeah. village and not well it wasn't given that there was a city or a large Right. Town oh no, or no. It was yeah. village was specifically used in here so we knew it was small. I just wasn't seeing it as quite that small. But yeah. that could very well be my mistake. Um, okay, and then the other things uh, I I liked the fact that the cat was brought in, mm-hmm. that there is this relationship with the uh, the first person that is this is all I want. I'm not sure what about it is meaningful, but I will trust the author to get back to that and show me why this particular cat is meaningful to the story. And uh, But now we get to the parts where I had a little bit of a, well, where this, this shows... The beginner stuff. Well, I wanted to touch on the cat. It could just be oh. that that it's showing the fact that the the person doesn't want to deal with humans, right? Right. Like oh, even yeah. if I mean, I know that the the mentioning of the name several times and stuff like that, it it could be lessened, uh, could be made less important. But I think that the the idea of the social isolation that she's trying to put herself in mm-hmm. um, could be fairly important in a character uh, when yeah. building, yeah. Yeah, in in the world building, um, and again, this is this is one very tiny scene, mm-hmm. and this might not be where the story starts. But when the only named character in the scene that yeah. you read is the cat, that implies something extremely important about the cat, because yeah. the protagonist has no name and the antagonist has no name, but the cat does. Yeah, but yeah. then that's the problem with getting only one scene and not knowing if there's more behind it or not. Exactly. Very, very well could have, we could know this person's uh, name and profession and all that stuff beforehand. Right, right. So so we are operating in a lot of dark here. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, let me break down a little bit of what I ran into. Um, okay. And we're going to use the worksheets for this part. 
of what is the point of this scene? Why does this conflict matter to the story? And the conflict here is, is very, very hard to define mm -hmm. because this is a chase scene. We have no stakes. We have absolutely no idea what is at risk. If he, if she escapes him, if he catches her, um, if, uh, you know, why, why the bikes are important, uh, why the village is important, why the French is important. This, all of this exists in a vacuum because the only action we're getting is the action of two people on bicycles playing dodgem. Yeah. Um, and and there's no there's no resolution. And so this is this is why you want the worksheets, and this is how you use it. Um, where I say right here, we hit the problem. We have the following conflicts. We have a bicycle chase. We have hiding of personal identification and location, which is that the the protagonist uh, does not want the, the antagonist to know who she is. Or where or she lives. Yeah. Where she lives, or um, but we have no idea why or what's at stake. And the antagonist is trying to catch the protagonist, but he does not know the protagonist speaks English, so he does not know the protagonist personally. Because if there was any sort of, I mean, he doesn't know anything about her because, and I'll get into this later in the worksheet. Um, that somebody lives in a village where French is the, the actual language and that this person speaks English would be a very, very essential piece of information for somebody who is trying to catch her to know unless unless they're catching her for some, chasing her for some really bizarre, you know, for a reason that we just, that needs to be in scene. <laughs> it, it kind of felt like... There was, it, see, I was going at this as not from an action perspective, but more as I was reading it, <laughs> um, because that was a fresh read. It, it felt more like comedy possible romance. Yeah, I got that too. Yeah, and I don't know if that's their genre. I don't know what they're writing. I just know that there didn't seem to be much conflict other than leave me alone, <laughs> go away, <laughs> you're not my cat, I don't want to talk to you. And, um, the the guy again he he wasn't he didn't appear to be aggressive he just seemed like he maybe needed help or you know so so it kind of makes you look at the protagonist's flaws in a way which is fine a little unsympathetic yeah yeah and and i don't know if that's what the writer is going for or not but it does you have no idea why she doesn't and if it's her per her point of view there has to be some sort of indicator as to why she doesn't want to apparently even speak to this dude mm -hmm. right we we need we need a little bit of grounding um so i'm going to go to the next question on the worksheet which is how have you shown your conflict what essential action takes place that moves your story forward and this is the problem with most chase scenes when they are just a chase scene. The conflict currently moves the characters through space. They move from the village into the country or they move, well, yeah, basically they move from the village into onto a country road. Um, but nothing happens. 
They're riding bikes when it starts. They're riding bikes when it ends. Their mm -hmm. relationship to each other is identical at the start and the finish. Mm -hmm. Nothing between these people changes. And we need to know why are they doing this. We don't know. We need to know what is at stake if character B catches character A. And we don't know this. We need to know how could the main character have prevented the chase. Uh, well, I mean, we have this thing of, well, I should have put all the bicycles away, but what is the character's relationship to the bicycles, and why bicycles? Yeah, and also, like, okay, so you shouldn't have left all the bicycles out is is also very confusing, and, and we, like, I understand that was a way to get character B, as you called him, um, a vehicle you know a bicycle in order to chase her more quickly mm -hmm. um but it it, uh, it it introduces more questions than it solves mm -hmm. because it's only solving one question as to okay well that's how he got his transportation but then you've got all of these other questions like okay why are they out if she knew she shouldn't have done it then what was the pressing reason that she she didn't it's not like the guy showed up and then oh i have to put all the bicycles up before i can run away so we already know that that's not the reason right so yeah there's there's a lot of questions again this could be this could be something solved earlier on but we didn't but, specify first scenes we specified any scene so right and this scene even even if it does not exist in a vacuum does need to answer some of these questions yeah uh, every scene has to stand on its own, you can have the backstory, you can have previous chapters, but somebody dropped into the middle of your book has to be able to make sense of why that scene is happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and we don't understand at all. Like like you said, I like the way you said they, they move through space, but mm -hmm. it doesn't actually move the story forward at all. We just see that there is a chase going on. Right. Um, this is, I have a couple more things here. How could the main character have, oh, right, I got that one. Um, why is the antagonist chasing? And we don't know because it, it is in first person, um, first person present, I think. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, it, when it's in that point of view, that's okay that we don't know from that character's point of view. But if we could get a little bit from the main character's point of view of why she thinks that character yes. might be chasing her, that would help a lot. So just so, just so even f we need to know why she's running uh, just a little bit in that scene. Um, we can be in the dark about a lot of things, but, and this scene will work if we can get one answer to one question. This just, it raises questions, but it does not answer any of them. All we need is one answer to one question mm -hmm. and, and, you know, any of the questions that I raised there would be, a, you know, a good, a good question to answer. Any one of those. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can, especially the thing in my mind was the reason why she was running from him. Because it didn't, the feeling you get is that this guy started trying to talk to her and she just bolted. And, yes. And, and it's like, okay, well. There's clearly something motivating her other than the fact that she just doesn't want to deal with other people. Because if she didn't want to deal with other people that strongly, she would not be in a job or would not be in charge of bikes that 
need that that apparently you know go to the public somehow or or something you know and that's that's the assumption that we're getting is that you know maybe she does bike rental or bike repair or something and somehow she deals with the public if she was that intensely solitary she would not be in a position to where somebody could have started talking to her and and it, it would just be a different feel right Right, right. The setup implies some sort of contact with the public. At least it did in my, the back of my mind, too. Yeah. Um, so then it makes this thing, it just is a little incomprehensible why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, okay, so then my the next question on the worksheet is, who changes in this scene, the scene protagonist, and why? Um, and... This, again, is a very basic beginner mistake. I made it all the damn time when I was getting started, and the seven years it took me to revise my god-awful first novel, um, a lot of what I had to revise was stuff like this. Uh, nobody changes in the scene. Mm -hmm. First, we need a conflict to change against. So um, let's say she, the protagonist, because we know the antagonist gender, but not the protagonist, uh, so I flipped a coin, is a British woman living in France, and that she owns a bike rental, uh, hence should have put them all away, uh, that she is a spy working for the queen, um, and that he is an American sent to contact her, but his employees are suspect. So she's running to hide because he could be dangerous. And let's say he catches her and by doing so, tips off the criminal underground of her true identity. Um, this was, from from what I could read of the scene, this was kind of the story that I could sort of put together and see this is what's going on, or hope that this is what's going on, and I absolutely know I am 100% wrong. Because yeah, no a, matter... There's a lot of extrapolation, or ugh, extrapolation yeah. out, of, out of that. Good Lord, I didn't get anything like that. <laughs> But the reason I did that, the reason mm -hmm. I did the extrapolation is because as I go through and start trying to fix the scene, I have to have something to fix it against. Yeah. I have to have a backstory. And because the scene does not apply, it does not offer any backstory whatsoever, which every scene should have a little part of backstory in there so that you know, you have an idea of why the person is doing what the person is doing. Something. We got to have something. Mm -hmm. um, and it can just be at the very beginning, um, you know, I, I, he was going to give up, he was going to reveal my identity. Uh, so I should have, I should have, you know, whatever it was I was going to, I should have stayed off the street or whatever. Uh, we have to have a reason in the scene and one is not supplied. So for everything else to follow, I had to make shit up in this scene. I apologize because I know I absolutely am way off the reservation here on whatever it was that the the writer is actually writing but i had to have something i could fix um okay so how then it once we have who changes and then you have to have i'm going to say um she has to change in this scene how do you show this character's change first we need to have some emotion, uh, fear at thoughts of death or capture or injury from the bike incident. Um, you go ahead and, and react on this because I've, well, I've got yeah, more. I'm, 
I'm, I'm looking at this as, as slightly different. Like, even just the most subtle change mm-hmm. could just be... A part of this that I keep going back to is there's no real ending, so it kind of is frustrating. There's no resolution, so even this is not... So much is not addressed. Um, Because because even... So when I'm almost caught up with him, I duck low over the handlebars. It's like, okay, what happens next? I'm not understanding. Like, we need to know the resolution before we can accurately figure things out. But I would say that something that was stuck in my head was a simple change that it could make was would be her realizing he seems very pleading and and needing of some assistance and and I think that if we could if she could either stop and realize that he doesn't seem like he wants to hurt her that's a change if if you want him to be a bad person or maybe questionable at all you'd have to change the way he's speaking so that we can have a different kind of change that's all I'm I'm like he definitely does not I think that's the part of this that's driving me a little bit crazy is that he does not seem harm he, he does not seem like he's out to harm her he mm-hmm. does not seem aggressive at all. He seems like a dude that just needs help. And yeah. so the running seems like a massive overreaction. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no change to that. So it's, it's, and there's no ending. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a simple change could just be her calming the hell down and realizing that she's overreacting. Yeah. Well, I I came at it the opposite direction from if she is reacting this yeah. strongly to someone who really does seem harmless, um, then there has to be a, a reason. A reason. And I, yeah. I, I gave the, the author the benefit of, okay, there is a really good reason for this, so then I made one up so that I could walk through on the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thing was show the stakes, show the character thinking about the reason for fleeing on a bike, knowing that she'll lose if she's caught. Um, show action, not just riding the bike, but planning a trap or planning an escape as she goes uh, to either disable her pursuer on his bike or to take a path she knows to be dangerous if you don't ride it regular regularly. Um, or uh, then show the application of emotion and thoughts uh, the stakes and the action to put the characters on a different situation. Like um, what happens if he catches her? What happens if she escapes? What happens if she hurts him? Um, what happens if she traps him? Something that this, the stakes are that she, she one of these things happens. Yeah. That, that something has to change in the scene to give us the reason to keep reading um, because this is the, the really big beginner mistake here is just having it all up in the air and thinking, well, because I haven't let them know, um, I have raised all of these awesome questions and I haven't answered any of them, they'll keep reading. But it just leaves us hanging in a void. You have to answer one At least question. one question, yeah, like yeah, you said. Where, you know, I think that, one of the questions I have for the main character is also like, okay, so you've established that this is a village. You've established that it, it, the feeling of it is that it is a smaller village. It's not 
um, bustling or or really well. Uh, it's, it's it's not a destination point because there's a burned down house that has not been either attended to or quarantined or, or, yes. or marked off or is not you know currently under demolish uh, a demolition. So you're getting the feel that this is a small town. You're getting especially with the the immediate transition from road to uh, the country road so you're getting that feeling of small village so how well is she even going to be able to hide from him um and she she seems to know the village very well so where is she going it, she would have a better plan she would know the the places to hide if she really needed to get away from him she would also i i, I kind of I feel like the tension was broken when she did exactly what she said that he would be able to stop her. Like she can't turn around and go back because he's going to block the, the road with his bike. And then when she decides to do something, she does exactly what she said she wasn't, that she couldn't do. <laughs> and that kind of kills the tension because by saying, I can't do this, the reader is like, Oh, okay. What are you going to do instead? Instead. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's a really good point. Okay, which takes us to the next question um, on the on the worksheet, which is, who or what is the obstacle, the scene antagonist that must be overcome in the scene, and why? And Becca just just kind of hit some of that. Um, we don't have one in this scene. We have no reason for the character to be running or for the pursuer to be chasing. As written, this action happens in a vacuum. So, I'm saying that he has to catch her to save her life because he and his organization know that her cover has been compromised. The obstacle, then, is that he has to win her trust. Um, and if she is doing something that needs for her trust to be won, then we have some stakes in there. Then mm -hmm. she has some skin in this game. Um, and again, because I wanted to be able to show some of the bigger fixes that have to be made in this, I had to make some presumptions uh, in all of the first parts, like the who or what questions. Yeah, yeah, um, that's fine. So that I can do, okay, so anyway. I mean, so it's anyway. just an example anyway, so that's, right. and, and, the other th the other thing here too is that the guy just needed directions he he wouldn't be chasing her down on a bike right so right. the fact that he pursues yeah shows he, that there is a reason that he needs that specific individual's help that 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 he needs to speak with that protagonist mm -hmm. or yeah yeah specifically her yeah um but he doesn't doesn't know anything about her doesn't know that she speaks english so this is, you know, this is all big stuff. So it's so, weird if he doesn't know that she speaks English for your Oh, for, for your my story. story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm pretty sure that I, you know, brought that in. Okay, so how can you best show this to the reader? You don't tell, you show. And uh, I say she falls and is injured and he saves her. She escapes him, uh, that's one possibility, or she escapes him only to see him shot and killed and to discover that the people who killed him want to kill her, or 
he's better on a bike than she is, and she's really good. And he corners her, captures her, and drags her into hiding just in time for both of them to see the killers hunting both as both of them as the killers go by. Or he and she are both captured by the bad guys, in which, uh, with each of these, I show why what they're doing matters by having something happen at the end. This is where I was talking about not having the scene, not thinking that just throwing suspense elements in there and that, but not giving them any answer would, creates a scene. It doesn't. Yeah, it there's crea- no twist in there either. Right. So there's no, there's, there's no answering of even a single question that is raised. And then there's also no twist to keep the reader compelled to read forward. Right. So with each of the four things that I showed here, mm-hmm. I created a twist. I created a, yeah. an answer to the scene that raises further questions. Yeah. And the twist and, and it ends the scene. And yeah, all of all of those possibilities, while not what the writer had intended for the scene they give very good examples of different ways four different ways that the story can go and four different endings for the protagonist and antagonist the the other twist is i like the best is where he's not an antagonist because that's how it feels right right he he feels like such a good guy yeah and 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 at, she, at least just a dude that needs help, and for some reason she's the only one that can give it to him. Yeah, and he, and she's being kind of a dick about it. Yeah, it's, it seems like that. Yeah, it's it like, does. It, just because of the level of her overreaction, I think part of that is the fact that she mentioned the cat gives you such a strong sense that this person has social anxiety to an extreme level that would not be fitting of somebody who who works in the public again to mention yeah would be dealing with bike rentals if we're assuming that that's what that is because how many people during the day would ask her like hey i need your help or hey can i talk to you about this bike and she's not going to run away from all the customers so right because you know they're all going to have questions because if you're renting a bike you don't live there so you have to assume that some part of this place is scenic or that there's a reason for bike rentals um but and it's not a tourist attraction because of the burnt down house that isn't even being taken care of or anything. Right. The, the fact that it seems to have been burnt down for a decent amount of time because she already knew about it. It's been there for a while. She knows it's, it's and then when she turns, she's like, she doesn't know what's in it. She uh-huh. knows that there could be some kind of broom or something, which is weird because that's highly flammable. But it it's, I, I just, I, I like the bit of characterization that's in there, but it doesn't make sense because if all she wants to do is just live with her cat and not deal with other people, why such an extreme reaction? Right. And why is he so absolutely determined to catch her? Why is she the only person with the answer to his whatever his need is? Right. The action she takes implies large stakes. Yes. Implies something important that is at stake some bigger problem than anything that we see in the scene. So we have to have a twist at the end that shows us why her overreaction to his simple question or his, his what seems like a very simple um, 
tr- attempted interaction, it has to make sense. We it, have to. Yeah, I, I yeah. was thinking a, a cool way to end it, if this is a magic or fantasy thing, could be her escaping, and then the very last line or so is is saying he saw me do magic or or something to that effect obviously that would not be the great line to end it but something to the effect that this dude just saw her do do magic and he wanted to know you know like what he just saw if 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 he's going crazy or yes what the hell just happened it it seems like something to that level it could have been but there's no answer whereas if you said something along the lines of he saw me just appear out of nowhere then then that and that answers the question that we need answered most desperately which is who the fuck is he why is he chasing her but it also raises more questions like oh shit she can do magic what what is this world it gives a better idea of the world too exactly exactly the 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 answer to the question in that you want to show not just why it matters to the scene but why it matters to the world and what you brought up there with that that is is big that is big it's really important okay so that takes us to the next page of the worksheet and where does this scene take place and why does this setting matter um and we we have a fair amount of information for this part the Mm -hmm. writer gave us a fair amount here uh it's a small french-speaking village surrounded by dirt roads in the country with one burned house in the scene we don't know why any of this matters other than that she is an english speaker possibly fluent in french and uh that he is an english speaker with awful french uh so that was that's one of the places where the writer got enough world building in there that we we have a, a pretty good sense of where we are now how can your setting be an active participant in this scene? Uh, the setting can create the source of danger. It can create meaningful backstory. For example, the burned out house is from the war. What war? Uh, the one between England and France in the alternate universe that needs spies on bicycles. Um, the roads could be paved in Riverstone, which makes riding a bike tricky and falling deadly. Uh, this is from my experience in Guatemala when we lived in Chiquimula where the roads were were paved with these stones the size of softballs and bigger and they they had been there for more than 100 years uh and you could see places where carts and stuff had worn some ruts into them but anybody you couldn't ride there was no play, way that anybody could ride a bicycle in Chiquimula because the this, the roads were just god awful rough and they would have bounced you and thrown you. And I was kind of seeing that sort of setting in the back of this and seeing a danger in, in having having the, play, the story set in a place with dangerous roads. Well, um, I, think that the, I think that there are some places where the writer got this right. I, I do think that it mm-hmm. matters. Um, the world, she has kind of established that the, the location, you know, you said, why does it matter? Well, mm-hmm. it's, it fits what we can assume of her a smaller town not a bustling place not mm-hmm. a tourist location kind of fits somebody who doesn't want to deal with people who wants to just live with her cat and not deal with with other human contacts so that i think that kind of shows why the world matters i think that the the world could be more active mm-hmm. um as in even just using what she has written without knowing any of her reasoning the the burnt down house could be 
kind of like this this um, location, like a, a mark that she's trying to reach because she knows that there's a place to to hide. Or, and when she actually hits that dirt road, um, is it sugar stand? Is it packed? Is it dusty? Well, she said it was dusty, but how dusty? Is mm-hmm. it something that's going to cause her to slide? It's it's not even something that needs to to cause the end of of their stuff, but it can cause a certain amount of tension and friction if she slides on the road or or if she has ridden on it so much because she does live in the town, we're assuming, that, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, we, she already said she doesn't want him to know where she lives. So she lives right. there, so she'd know the dirt road. So maybe if she knows that that burnt house is there, then she can turn on the dirt road. And then when she gets on the dirt road, she rides it all the time, so she'll be able to handle it. But she does a certain thing so that when he he comes around the corner, he's going to hit a spot on that that normally packed road that that is always sugar stand or or just really there's a there's a hole. There's a, you know, like a pothole or something that I don't know what you would call it in dirt. But yeah, (laughs) but yeah, she tries to use the setting to her advantage because she should be able to do that if this is her town and he doesn't know even where she lives so we're assuming that he doesn't live there too and the village feels small so he's he's not someone she knows she should be able to use the setting to her advantage even if it doesn't end up working yeah i think i think the most important takeaway from this particular thing is in stating that if it's in the scene it 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 doesn't just matter it has to it has to be important. Mm-hmm. This is a very short scene. These are all very short scenes. So if the writer takes the time to put something in the scene, it has to be important. If not in the scene, then later. It has to come back. But with so few things in the scene, we do have to see the reason that one of the things that's in the scene matters in the scene. Yeah, and there's always a certain amount of foreshadowing you could do. Yeah. The way I mean, that was the the burnt house was mentioned was pointed out and stuff. Mm-hmm. If it was just worded a little bit differently, there could be a certain amount of foreshadowing going on there. Yeah. As long as this scene is is full of things that could be foreshadowing. Yeah. And that part of it is done really well. It's just we need to have one of them to land on. Mm-hmm. Um, to to say well okay this is this is why the setting matters okay so that takes us off of that page of the worksheet and um, we get to the last page of the worksheet here what is the final outcome of this scene and <laughs> as we mentioned earlier there isn't one yeah there's not even there's not even her gaining distance. There, right. there, there is just this, and it's not even a cliffhanger feel ending. Th- there's no, I rush towards him with something in my eye and ready for the fight, which would be a, an okay cliffhanger if you wanted to switch to somebody else's point of view. Mm-hmm. But the way that it's written, it just seems to stop. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Which is, it is not, and I had, I had so many of these in that first novel where I was trying to be suspenseful, and instead of being suspenseful, I just dropped the thread and jumped to something else and didn't 
didn't leave the reader with a hook that would keep them reading to the next scene. Yeah, it's, um, it's like this balancing act. There has to be a hook, but there also has to be some kind of small conclusion that settles one little tiny thing. And it could be just as simple as him shouting something different at mm-hmm. her that gives us at least some insight into what his motivation is. Right. Something so that we have some kind of answer and then the hook is, you know, that she's still trying to get away after trying something new. She has to try something new. Yes, yes. Um, and I can, the next, que- the final question on this thing is what unexpected change um, ends the scene? This is the twist. And I came up with some examples from my made-up um, situation. But just before we, as we have noted, there is no twist. There is no change that, that ends the scene because there's not even an ending to the scene. So go right. ahead. What, what are your... Right. So, and that is a basic beginner mistake and we have all done it. But mm-hmm. these are, um, if he saves her, she could start falling in love while he pretty much can't stand her. If he dies... She can overhear her enemies and realize that her chance to get out of danger safely died with him um, and that they know who she is and they're coming for her, but she has to get home to get her intel and save her cat. Or um, if the two of them team up, this can be their romantic meet cute. If, if somehow she falls and instead of doing whatever it is that she fears he's going to do he picks her up and drags her to safety or helps her back on her bicycle or something then you know if this is a romance novel then that's how they can actually meet but we really need more of a reason for why she ran in the first place um and then if they're captured they can look sadly at each other before before being dragged to separate interrogation rooms um (laughs) i kind of thought of one that that just popped up in my head that was kind of funny Okay. Using only what we have here, using mm-hmm. just what has been written, not any any extra uh, backstory or anything. A cool, funny twist could be her rounding the corner, um, or or you know, find like and having him go past. And Kit Kat is there where she is, but it's not a cat. She pulls out some food and gives this this dude like the the food and rubs his head and and he's like thank you or whatever see it's it's just like this utterly bizarre or maybe kit kat isn't a cat but is like some weird gnome or something and or a were tiger yeah some or shifter <laughs> of some kind people love shifters um and you you kind of get an idea at that point why he might have been chasing her Maybe because Kit Kat is mentioned several times mm-hmm. and is such an indicator of her motivation, maybe that's what it is, is is that she's trying to protect Kit Kat and she thinks this guy knows something or is after her because of Kit Kat. That kind of just using what we have here and just ending it like that would give you both the hook and and answer at least one question. Right. Right. So... Okay, so that is it for the first scene. I like and it. I, I honestly, like, even I understand that it's a beginner-level scene and there are absolutely. Some, some mistakes and stuff. Yeah. But it's a fun scene and it's fun to dissect and go through and figure out, you know, what's wrong. And, and if you guys want to 
we will have it in the forums we'll have this episode topic but we can always create a different thread where you guys can go through each other's scenes and dissect each other's scenes with you know consent from each other like you guys pair up and kind of do this because you learn a lot by for your own self by dissecting other people's work yep. and figuring out the problems yep. because like holly said a lot of this stuff oh my god did i ever make a lot of these same same little mistakes or or choices in writing yeah that you later realize there's it seems like it's written from the perspective of a writer who knows what's going on but mm -hmm. doesn't know what to include right when it comes and, to you know yeah. intrigue and and small answers yes and and i get i get very much that the writer wants this to be a suspenseful scene but for it to be suspenseful you have to bring you have to let us know at least something of what's at stake and yeah. then you have to give us some sort of ending that sh that shows a change um but you know again <laughs> my my first novel was just full of stuff like this so this is this is we have all been there and yeah. this is all fixable stuff yeah absolutely 100 percent fixable and if you the, to the anonymous person uh we're keeping you anonymous if you wanted to work on it um and that just don't don't tell us any of the motivations don't tell us uh any of the the questions that we're bringing up today don't answer any of these questions just if you want update your scene and uh, you can post it in the forums if you don't care about anonymity or if you would like, you can send it to me. Um, I'm glad we only did four because then, you know, there'd only be four updates. But I, I'm very interested in this story. Um, yeah. I, I can't promise that Holly will read it because she's so swamped and so busy, but I would like to, to see what comes up next and how it's edited i would i would like to see a future version of this scene just because i'd love to know a little bit more about it for it it, it has me intrigued I, yeah. I can there's a lot of good about it all right so on to the second scene i'm not sure if this is a title it doesn't have a period at the end so i'm assuming it's a title um but this one is just called daniel so okay maybe it was the fire or the way his father leaned on him, as if all had been forgiven, and the man he knew from before the drought had come back to him, whole and unbroken. Maybe it was the smile on Carmel's face as she brushed by him, a secret meant just for him. Or maybe it was the way his mother asked him to perform a simple task, her voice calm and affectionate, if still a little weary. Whatever the reason, he forgot for a moment that the voices he heard were the when the hawk called for its mate or the cow begged for a drink were not part of his family's world even as a baby on the airship he remembered voices speaking to him in a language no one else could hear once he had tried to tell his sisters that the ship sang that the living world was speaking to him and he could hear every note she had laughed and told him he was a strange child but that they would all be lost without peculiar people but tonight, when he stepped out of the barn and crossed the threshold to the house, he forgot to leave his strangeness behind. 
and now his secret life spilled into the room where his family stood, perplexed and dumbfounded. He tried to take a step back, but his father's fingers sank into his shoulder and pulled him back into the light of the kitchen. What are you saying? His father spoke quietly, softly, in a voice meant for Daniel alone, as if Daniel might still be able to set the mad world to rights with a word. But Daniel could hear the voices stirring under his father's question, in his father's blood and bone, and the words were frantic and fierce. He could calm him, he knew. He could take his father's hand from his shoulder, hold it lightly in his own, and they could disappear into the breezeway. His father would follow him to fill a bucket with water from the barrel and they would laugh on their way to the barn. But somewhere inside himself he felt the truth. This life they had shared was over. His father, who had fought so furiously to keep it, had shattered in the night. His mother, who had always known that change would come, stood expectantly as if a new friend were about to walk through the door. And his sister. She was in the breezeway looking over her shoulder with tears in her eyes. Oh, Daniel, she said, her voice barely reaching the threshold. Already? And the half-forgotten words left his lips in a kind of dance. Okay. Um, this, we like I said, we alternated between um, beginner-ish and um, advanced-ish. And this is a more advanced writer's scene. Uh, this has some very solid stuff in it. Um, so, and the interesting thing I thought was that the person who sent in this scene uh, said, uh, I think I might have been too vague. And the thing is, if this is the opening scene of a story, uh, well, I'll get to that. But uh, from my perspective, the author did a very good job on this. And that's why I wanted to kind of bounce this off as this is a semi-pro scene. So let's go to the worksheets here. What is the point of this scene? Why does this conflict matter to the story? Um, a son's hidden talent is about to be revealed and the familiar, comfortable life he shared with his family is about to end. Yeah. That is uh, a good point that is a good strong conflict and that gives us as the readers a lot to work with even if this is the very first scene in a story it feels uh, like the first scene in a story it does yeah uh, this uh, this one does not feel like it comes from the middle it has pretty much what we need to know from the beginning so um how the next question on the worksheet is, how have you shown your conflict? What essential action takes place that moves your story forward? Daniel's family looks at him differently in a way that suggests they know what is coming. Uh, as he walks into the room, he gives something away. And the author does not, I mean, these have to be very short scenes because we only allowed him to be, what, 350 words? 500. Something like that? 500. Huh. 500, okay, 500 words. We only allowed these scenes to be 500 words. So the author cannot have a lot of detail in here, but the author does raise some important questions. Um, this, this coming change, this last moment of calm before the storm when the protagonist knows he could pull back and leave things that as they are, but doesn't, is the antagonist of this scene. This, this massive 
change that is going to happen in this character's life that he could stop. That that he right right in there says he could take his father's hand off his shoulder, pull him away from this, do something that will convince him that nothing has changed and the world will continue as it has gone, but that he doesn't do this, it's, it's a choice that the character makes and that is a compelling thing to have happened in the scene. Okay, so the next uh, part, the next page of the worksheet is who changes in this scene, the scene protagonist and why. Daniel, and we know the character's name is Daniel because the scene was named Daniel. It's not because it was used, I don't think, in the scene. Yeah, it was. Was it? Okay, yeah. okay. Um, Daniel realizes he is about to lose his family and comfortable life to a new future. But rather than backing away, he goes forward into the change. So he changes. How do you show this character's change? He notices that father, mother, and sister react differently to him as he enters the room and as his magic, I'm assuming this is magic. And if that assumption is incorrect, I'm sorry, but I'm just, this is what I pulled from reading it. Uh, And as his magic makes its presence known, his father grips his shoulder, shattered. Um, The mother accepts what she has always known is coming and the sister is in tears. So there is, there is change for every single character in the scene. There's not a lot. It's, it's short, but, I mean, but it's yeah, there. it's there's change for everybody, and but at the same time, it kind of when you read it, you get this feeling that they kind of even the father knew that this was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I, I think that's implied even in the dialogue at one point, but it it gets it has some really good stuff in here. Okay, who or what is the obstacle, the scene antagonist that must be overcome in this scene? And that, too, we have an actual answer. A boy or man, we don't know how old Daniel is, born with magic, I'm assuming, must now bring it forward and acknowledge it. And how can you best show this to your reader? This is show, don't tell. Um, We have, from the author in this scene, flashbacks to infant memories of talking animals, of singing ships. We have a possibly careless bringing of his magic into a possibly mundane household. Again, 500 words, there's not a lot of stuff you can put in here. But that is implied that, that these might just be normal people. Mm-hmm. And, that they, and that this is something that could have been suspected, that there's something different about Daniel. Um, the recognition of the family now that something is done that cannot be undone. Uh, so again, that's those are very very good. Who's or what's? The next uh, next page of the worksheet is where does this scene take place and why does this setting matter? This is a world with best guess on my part: magic, telepathy, airships, hawks and cows, fires possibly in hearths. Uh, so you know this might be a world lit only by fire, uh, where where the technology level is very low water is carried in buckets and because I carried a lot of buckets of water when I was a kid and and had a horse that had to be watered I know that that does not necessarily mean that the technology is low but if they're carrying buckets into the water to drink of water into the house to drink then that's that is again world building Um, how can your setting be an active participant in this scene 
It shows the world the protagonist inhabits and suggests that while he lives in this world, he might not belong in it, but in a much different world that will take him away from everything he knows and perhaps everything he loves. So how is the scene active? Okay, how is the, the setting active? The setting is active because it, it brings us um, the background of airships. It brings us him walking into a room with the knowledge that what, how he see, how he has, has seen the world with um, hearing things talking to him from the time he was born. Uh, and we're assuming he's not crazy, uh, mm -hmm. that he does not have some sort of a, a, a mental condition. Uh, it, it implies that the world that he inhabits personally and the world that other people know exists are two very different things. That conflict built into the world right there makes the world active. It it's from the very beginning introduces to the reader that this place where we are might not be the place where we end up and the rules of the world as as we're seeing them in this first scene might change drastically throughout the story because we might have to travel to the the place where this character actually fits um there's again 500 words there's a yeah, lot that I've... can be pulled out go ahead Sorry, I was I was just going to say, I don't really see how there's two different worlds, how he needs to travel to another one. I think that it's all the same world, but it's just a different view. Like, he has a different version of this world that everybody else... It, it's kind of like somebody who's colorblind versus somebody who can see all of the colors. So, in this case, it would be everybody else is colorblind and he can see all of the colors. I, when I'm saying worlds, that that is actually what I mean. It's not that there are, like... Uh, two different planets or um, a gate between the world that, that he lives in and some magical other world. It's that the world that he experiences is its own world if there is a reality to what he's experiencing that other people cannot experience. And again, that's like being colorblind. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is, there are things that some people can know that other people cannot know simply because of the way their bodies work. Yeah. And yeah, that's the kind of, of the world is active because. Well, I just wanted to clarify too that travel does not always mean physically going somewhere. Right. And to me, this is not a, he needs to travel to a different physical world mm -hmm. in some manner, but it seems like he's going to, the story is going to be about how he adjusts, how he uses his powers how the rest of the world is changed by that. That's what I'm getting from this story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we have only one more page in the worksheet here. Um, what is the final outcome of this scene? The tragedy of the truth is acknowledged. The pro protagonist no longer belongs in his home as he, he and his family understand it. Now, again... This might just be a story about a massive relationship change that his family is going to have to deal with while he stays where he is. Mm -hmm. Or it could be that he has powers that are going to require him to go someplace. For me, it felt more like the latter, that this was, in fact, a hero's journey kind of story in which a, a character coming into his own powers must then leave 
home in order to become the character that it is his potential to be. Yeah, you, you get the feeling that, I mean, the fact that he could have stopped the change, but the the choice that he made was not to stop the change, you get the feeling that his motivation to set out on his own, quote, journey, whatever that would be, was stronger than his motivation for keeping his world the same. His mm-hmm. motivation for acknowledging the fact that he is different and he has skills that that he feels driven to not hide anymore was was more motivation than the the desire to stay with his family whether or not it's a physical stay or a you know just yeah where it's good where it could be just a a rift that is going to grow up between these people who have lived together and loved each other for a really long time yeah um yeah so uh for me that scene as written works um, I know that the author was uncertain about whether he or she uh, had gotten across what they were trying to get across in the scene. From where I'm standing, yeah, that that one works pretty much as written. Okay, um, so then you want to go to the next scene. Now, I know that there was a an email attached to these. I also did not read the emails. I mean, I, I read... I read them when I first downloaded everything just to, to know, you know, if this was what we needed, but I didn't read any details about any of the scenes or anything like that. What? And, and I did not read any of these stuff except for the scenes beforehand because I did not want my reactions to the scenes and what I was finding in them to be colored by the author's interpretations. Yeah. So I got all of that stuff afterwards. Yeah, and that's that's part of the thing, too, is that, oh, we're given this thing to dissect and figure out what's wrong, then we can't know any of the backstory beforehand because then right. it automatically fills in in our brain. The fancy organic his- hipster grocery store was only a few blocks away. The three of them walked as Zeke no longer had a bicycle thanks to the Kraken. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Sorry, <clears throat> back to the scene. Shep darted from one side of the sidewalk to the other, smelling every tree, bush, and mailbox he passed. Lennon tried to keep a low profile, but it was difficult with the clothing Zeke had picked out for her. I feel like a giant tomato, which, oddly enough, I could really go for right about now. No, I think it looks good on you, Zeke replied through his smile. Lennon was decked out in Zeke's mom's bright red Portland Trailblazers sweatshirt, and bug-eyed sunglasses. She was not much bigger than Zeke, so she was practically swimming in his mom's very normal-sized clothes. It wasn't exactly her usual dark and brooding style, but it was keeping the sun off her skin. She did look like a tomato or a giant ladybug. Shep saw a woman walking, a small terrier on the opposite side of the street, and froze, glaring at it. The other dog didn't notice him at all, but kept on walking, minding its own business. I didn't expect werewolves to be so, I don't know, doggish. <laughs> Cracking in werewolves. <laughs> Alright, um. Lennon cringed. Shep moved his glare from Terrier to Zeke. Want to run that by me again? What did I say? Zeke was genuinely confused. You think I'm a werewolf? <clears throat> you think I'm a werewolf? Don't insult me, Frankenstein. Werewolves get all the glory, but don't have to earn any of it. 
They only transform into wolves on full moons and then just howl at each other all night while stealing sheep. Literally the easiest animal to loot from unsuspecting farmers. Tell me, how is that worthy of all the infamy they get? Huh? I always look like this. I can't hide who I am. And all anyone ever does is make fun of the poor little werehound. Give me a break. Shep huffed on ahead to smell a patch of weeds growing out of the next house's yard. He wishes he were a werewolf, Lennon whispered to Zeke. Why do you think he tries to fight anything that moves? Always something to prove. It's going to get him killed someday, and no one's going to care. Werehound? Like a werewolf, but a dog? I've never heard of that. Exactly. What about you? Zeke asked as he turned to Lennon. You don't seem like a normal vampire. You haven't tried to suck my blood once and seem obsessed with fruit. Lennon gave Zeke an epic side-eye and ran ahead to catch up with Shep, clearly uninterested in taking that line of questioning any further. Man, making friends with monsters was hard. That was really cute. Yes. Okay, this this um, is a beginnerish scene. Uh, it has some really good stuff in it. It has some really rocky stuff in it. And um, we are going to go through both. One of the first things that I want to mention before we get to um, the actual worksheets is that this is a case of talking heads. And yeah. it was killing Becky trying to read it because she couldn't keep up with which character was speaking at any time. Uh, and the reader can't either. And I could. Yeah, it was when really weird it. when the dog started talking. I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, hold on." Mm -hmm. There was you. So this is where dialogue tags, or a little dialogue information shown in uh, having, showing the character walking and then speaking as the character is walking, so that we can see a little four-legged dog walking along the lo the dog peed on a bush. He said, "Comma." Well, quotation I, I, marks. There's even just the idea of a little bit of action beforehand that doesn't have to necessarily do with walking too. Like, I like the fact that you, as you were reading it, it became clear that okay, well, one of them is a dog. That mm -hmm. that felt very clear. But the the talking heads, like there, the scene could be longer and better described. And then still keep the dialogue. The dialogue was really cute. I liked the fact that, you know, it kept surprising me with just surprise, surprise, surprise. But it wasn't... My one issue with Ilona Andrews is that every single time I've opened one of her books, the very first scene is I'm throwing all of this shit at you 100%. You better mm -hmm. like to try to figure shit out and I'm going to include... Um, what I think of as Scientology level, you know, vocabulary. I'm going to include all this shit you know nothing about, and you're going to have to take the rest of the book to find it out. This doesn't right. do that. This, this is... I feel like it's it's just dropping things left and right, but at the same time, it's not overly, and it all fits. It's not like overwhelming. I I the. The Kraken still made me laugh. Like, I could still think of... It's like, no longer has a bicycle thanks to the Kraken. Like, I was not expecting that whatsoever. That just... I was like... What the that was beautiful. Yeah, that was yeah. so well done. And 
again, I didn't read any of the emails, so I didn't know the genre. I didn't know anything to find out that there's the dog it, that that was very well hinted at uh, is not just a dog, and that he has an attitude, and that he can talk. I just feel like some of these things. I think that this is more. It feels more intermediate to me than mm-hmm. beginner. Because there's so much good going on, but at the same time, boy, does yeah. it need, you know, some, some it's, leveling yeah, it's out. Late beginner, it's, it, it does, and I'm, this is where I start the worksheet, um, mm-hmm. because the, one of the things that you brought up is the demonstration of the thing that I'm about to jump into right now. So okay. uh, we're going to go into the worksheet, and what is the point of this scene? Why does this conflict matter to the story? And I am going to say here, there is no scene conflict in this scene. It consists of exposition disguised as dialogue. And that's what you were talking about, again, with Ilona Andrews sometimes. Well, Um, with Ilona Andrews, it's not just dialogue. It's it's like if you pick up one of her books, you are just thrown into everything. There's no gradual build up of these different things i think that this one did it very well in that there is a gradual build up but i Uh don't know if it's the same as the author intended because from what i'm i'm going into this scene looking at this world is that it's an established world with a lot of monster activity a lot of like like it is not the world that we are living in now it is a world with monsters living with humans and it's not a big deal and Kraken, <laughs> yes, <Eating> bicycles. <laughs> right, right. Well, it is. It is a very um, world-buildy mm-hmm. kind of first scene. But yeah, there's it, no conflict. Right, there is no conflict. Um, the characters, we we get what the characters look like. We get what they are wearing. We get what species they might be, um, in which they are telling each other things they already know however um and that is exposition disguised as dialogue and when a a writer does it this is the thing that was (laughs) this was how i killed an editor or (laughs) with my quaker novels or my quaker my quakers in space story that i kept trying to send and sending out and sending out and uh bless his heart charles ryan was the guy who finally told me what was wrong with it uh, with, with with the much, 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 much too exposition. This is it. This yeah. is having characters tell each other things they already know, which you simply do not know. Never. You don't ever do that. Yeah, we found out some fascinating things in the scene. Yes. And they're really, really good things. It's just this isn't how you bring them in. Yeah, like so- I would like to see the werehound instead of just dumping his entire um, attitude problem in that one long paragraph, have that be a consistent contention for him over the entire book or the entire series, however long you're going to do, and just little drops here and there. L- like, not every time you see him, not, you know, him grumbling or ranting, because this isn't about real life. This isn't, yeah, somebody will sit there and rant at you for... 15 minutes over something but it doesn't make for good reading so i think that that i love the idea that he has such a problem with actual werewolves and that he is not one of them 
And I also love that in this story, apparently werewolves uh, just howl at each other and steal sheeps, I, or sheep. <laughs> I think that that's very cute. I really like that. But I mm-hmm. think that these are little details that you could spread out through the entire book to, to build that character and make it more humorous. Right, right. Um, as it ri- as the scene is written now, because it is people telling each other what we know, there's nothing at stake. Or people, they're t- people telling yeah. each other what they what each they know. already know. Right. Yeah. There's nothing at stake, and nothing changes. We have two kids and a dog walking to or from a grocery store, but that's it. And the writer wants to show the MC making friends with monsters, so that we get that is this as this expository line at the end man making friends with monsters is harder you know whatever that whatever that line was um the thing is we they tell each other that shep is a werehound they tell each other that zeke is possibly normal yeah. uh, they tell each other that lennon is a vampire but they already know this so this is where i'm gonna i'm gonna go into now well i wanted to say something too about that that ending line it would have it's a cute last line, but it doesn't fit the scene because he's not making friends. He's already friends. He's not, you're not going to walk a dog that doesn't already trust you and like you, especially mm-hmm. one with an attitude problem. You're you're not going to be comfortable walking around with a vampire who is also wearing your mom's clothes. Yes. If, if you're just <laughs> making friends with them, your mom isn't going to let you hang out with a vampire too, by the way, if, if. They don't already know that this is, they like fruit. They don't want to drink your son's blood. So it doesn't fit. If making friends with monsters was, is hard, then show how it's hard. Show how he's making friends because none of this in here seemed hard. Right. It just seemed like he had friends that had, you know, certain pet peeves and that's normal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it kills the conflict. Yeah. So, um, I say, the question here is, how have you shown your conflict? What essential action takes place that moves your story forward? Yeah. Okay. And here, we have create a problem they have to solve together. Um, and I'm giving a step-by-step for fixing this scene here. Uh, a friend has gone missing, or an important item belonging to one of them has been stolen, something like that, and they are on the case. Next, don't tell us what they are, show us. And I'm just giving some examples here. Don't show the werehound as anything but a dog until he says something like, hey guys, got the scent of the, you know, what's this, over here, and uh, it gets fresher, fresher going in that direction. Until then, have him peeing on, you know, stuff. And well, yeah, because I like the reveal. I like the idea that, um, you know, the, you think he's a dog at first, and then yeah. he speaks. But they, the writer did not do it well because I didn't know who was speaking until, you know, it took me a second. And that, right. that ruins your really, really cool reveal of holy shit, Shep is talking, you know, and that's a good way to show that he's something other than just a normal dog. Right. Show him being the dog well. first. Well, he did. Yeah. But he no, did. I mean, he had him, you know, glaring at the other dog and peeing on stuff, but, but yeah, lengthen it out, it give it more time and then give him a reason to speak instead of, you know, yeah. mentioning that he's a werewolf and then him not agreeing. 
Have him something something to characterize him because if he has an attitude problem, uh, something that would characterize this particular character would be having him going around, peeing on specific places yes. and then saying, "I hate that guy," or or trying to dog. pee on everything that yeah the dog just peed on because dogs they have this very pers- very very specific like lucky. When I walk him in the front yard, I can let Lucky and Freddy out, and they go to these very specific places in the yard where they pee every time, unless uh, Bush, which is the neighbor's dog, who is very tiny, tiny and not kept in his yard, so he comes over, and every single time Lucky picks up his scent, he goes and he tries to pee on those spots, because, and it's just part of their dominance, yeah. part of their marking their territory. So if they showed this guy, this dog... Like, first you see he's just a dog, and then you find out maybe they're following the terrier. So the dog, every time he, the terrier pees on something, the dog goes out of his way to pee on that other thing. If you show the fact that he's moving way, way, way further out of his way than a normal dog would by catching the scent and stuff and peeing on something, you start to pick up that there's something different about the dog. And to add on to that, let's talk about the dog sizes. The one dog, the, the werehound, is a bigger dog. The dog they're following is a smaller dog, terrier. Uh, so the terrier is going to pee low. The other, the dog that is following them is would just naturally pee higher, which, you know, if you're marking over some other animal's thing to demonstrate dominance, then the dog that we're following as the other two are walking along can watch him crouching down in order to pee low making sure that he hits over that low spot every single time and then like the third time he does it we can hear him bitching about the fact that the little the the dog they're following is so short and he hates this guy which could be the first time he speaks so that that's showing not that this is they're just walking a dog while the girl and the guy are walking along together but that the dog knows what he's doing, is following a specific dog, is leading them someplace, and he hates this guy. And yeah, I, I like the other thing you were saying, too, about the size, um, that if you could make the dog they're following bigger instead of a tinier dog, if you make the other dog much larger, like maybe a Great Dane or something, yeah. so that dog is peeing higher, so then the smaller werehound has to find a way to lift itself and make it more awkward and pee higher than the Great Dane, that's also going to show that that sapient, that that mental ability that this not really normally, you know, exactly that do. this is not. You are showing that this is a not a dog. It's something that's thinking. And if you if he can stand on his paws and lift his legs up and pee and occasionally maybe get a little on himself and get angry when that happens because of the angle at which he has to pee to mark his dominance over this dumb dog they have to follow. Yeah. Then that gives us his attitude Mm -hmm. without telling us his attitude, especially when he starts talking and starts being really cranky about the other dog. Yeah. I, I, I think, again, you know, there are some dogs that do some of this behavior. There are some, there's always, you know, extreme examples of dogs, but the idea is to push the boundaries of dog behavior in a way to just start foreshadowing that this is not a normal dog 
Yeah, and if you want to demonstrate that he's sapient, which is going to give him a feeling of superiority over all normal dogs, then the fact that he can't pee as high as the big dogs yes. that are just dogs, not brilliant like him. Yeah, just stupid is, old dogs. <laughs> yeah, is going to give him a bit of an inferiority complex that he is going to have to go out of his way to fix, yes. which is going to give us a reason why he gets so cranky at werewolves who are wolf-sized and have it easy and who about over great danes who are just dogs but who have it easy and yeah it's just all of these little tiny things add a lot of character a lot of sympathy from the reader a lot of yeah. humor and that's a way to build up that reveal and make it better like i don't think you can get better than oh yeah i don't have a bike anymore because of a kraken just it's just awesome. this yeah it's just an awesome <laughs> line i don't think that that reveal for the dog is going to be any better than that because that was just out of the blue and hilarious especially <laughs> yeah. if you're reading not knowing that what this genre is and what this anything and you laughed just yes. right there man it was, it was just was that was like, great well, okay i had the um, same reaction yeah so yeah when you're when you're revealing about the dog could try to make it fit that and i think yeah. that would be cool yeah uh, my next thing is show that the girl is different you know we don't want to be told that she's a vampire um and we don't even necessarily need to know that about her in the first scene what we can see is that she is okay until a bit of sunlight touches her skin and she blisters or until she turns into a bat or something else, but while they are pursuing the trio's objective. Um, don't, you know, the, the fact that she's dressed funny, you don't in the first scene have to let us know she's a vampire. Yeah. You know, she can look goofy, and, and we can know that she's borrowing his mother's clothes, but we don't need to know in the first scene why. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing with, you know, we can know that she's sun-sensitive, we can know that she's not comfortable wearing the clothes that she is in and that she normally wears gothy clothes. Um, I like that. I think that that's mm -hmm. cool. But like like you said, especially if you're going to reveal that the dog barks and you've already told us that there was a kraken, it's like you don't want to throw too much at the same scene. And revealing that she's a vampire, if it's not important to that scene, that can be a later surprise especially if the, she has a really good reason for wearing his mother's clothes. Like, unfortunately, something happened and she accidentally turned into a bat and had to flee and had to leave her clothes someplace where she couldn't get them back. So she had to fly to his parents' house and hide in his room naked and he had to loan her his clothes until he could sneak some of his mom's clothes so that they could go out and deal with this situation and see we can that can all be a later reveal that can that all was, be stuff i was what, thinking she lost her clothes because of the kraken <laughs> okay that too you know she was trying to save his bike <laughs> yeah because if there is a kraken involved in in his bike there could be a kraken involved in her clothes too and how that happened would be one fine story but again you want to show these things you want to show us characters that we don't know and and give us just little odd bits about them and let us know the reasons why by showing us later how these strangenesses came to be mm -hmm. okay the next question on the worksheet is who is the scene protagonist 
In other words, who changes and why? No one changes because the scene is exposition. Now, the scene protagonist is the narrator because it's told in first person. But no one changes uh, because the scene is exposition disguised as dialogue. So um, the possible scene changes would be, how do you show the characters change? Uh, the vampire hits an obstacle when she has to walk walk through sunlight because she can't jump over a mud puddle um, because uh, there is some sort of force field in the area that would force her to change into a bat, something new, something. Um, the other two can complain about the dog peeing on everything uh, as he's walking along peeing on everything. Um, he can make some wisecrack about keeping up with the local news when he's sniffing the pee. Um, just, uh, the protagonist, the narrator of the scene, uh, has to solve a problem caused by his own nature because, uh, as I found out afterwards in the author's notes, he is not a normal person either. Um, he's not, he's not. So, um, we need to have some hint of what makes him special, what makes him the person these other characters are drawn to. The protagonist has to solve a problem caused by his own nature or make an excuse to a mundane, uh, someone that they're talking to while they're out, about something weird one of his friends did um, that would kind of give away their nature, which he has to keep secret, and discuss these new friends and the dangers to the uh, that these new friends of his are dangerous to the life he knew because this is something that has changed recently in this world according to uh, the author's notes to me what has the, changed recently that monsters have appeared oh wow okay that is not something 100% not something that you get as a feel when you're reading that scene when you're reading exactly. that scene, it doesn't feel like his life has changed. It doesn't feel like the monsters are new. It feels like everybody on the planet knows about the monsters. The throwaway line about the bike and the kraken um, is part of what makes it feel like this is just a normal Business everyday occurrence. Usual. Yeah. 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 So if, if that's not the world, then I guess that would be um, a failure to implement the tension and conflict on mm -hmm. the part of the world building because it felt like an established monster world it did it did so the next worksheet i have here is who or what is the obstacle the scene antagonist that must be overcome in this scene and why and this scene has no obstacle it has no problem that must be overcome the characters must have something they're solving, a destination they must reach that poses risks to them or to some other problem that they have to overcome. Yeah, there's so, no stakes. There's no conflict. There's no obstacle. There's nothing. There's just three, what feels like three good friends that have been friends for a while walking down the road and talking about stuff that we, you know, that they wouldn't normally be talking about because they already know. Right, right. They're telling each other what they know about each other as a way to tell the reader. And telling the reader is always the mistake. Yeah. Okay, so 
Uh, the question now becomes, how can you best show this to your reader? You show, don't tell. I'm going to give some examples. The vampire splashed by water, auto changes into a bat, and the humanish friend's friend has to pick up her clothes. Or someone overhears the were-dog talking, and the protagonist has to pretend he's learning how to throw his voice. Or some other way to demonstrate that these kids have some danger to themselves because they are not normal humans, that they are not part of an established world where everybody's okay with this, that this is a secret thing, and that this kid who is leading them through this world to a specific objective with a specific problem to solve is, in his own way, uh, part of a danger or part of a solution that that we have to overcome in this scene. There's something in this scene that has to be fixed in order for the scene to work. Yeah, because I'm definitely not, there's no vibes in there whatsoever that vampires or um, where creatures or krakens or werewolves or any of that stuff is not only new, but also is looked down upon or um, is something that is conflict for the rest of society, especially since she's wearing his mom's clothes, that establishes a certain amount of acceptance. Whereas if even the author had just put in a small throwaway line about he had to sneak these clothing, this clothing out of his mom's, then that, that shows that the mom is as... A representative of society at this point maybe doesn't approve of the vampires maybe doesn't know about them mm-hmm. maybe doesn't know his friend is one I mean at this point that's all we have representing society that and the other terrier that is and uh, I assume the other person walking it that we don't have very much establishing the the realm of the norm exactly Okay, so that beautifully segues into the next page of the worksheet. Where does this scene take place, and why does this setting matter? It takes place in a town with a fancy organic hipster grocery store. That's the only information we actually have about the world, so because it's in there, it has to matter. If it's in there... It's going to be, it's going to either have to contain some ingredient or some character that is the objective of the kid's travel. And we have to see that in the scene. Um, For example, uh, how can you get your setting to be an active participant in this scene? You get the, the objective is getting to the store which can pose specific obstacles to the vamp, the dog, and the kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Go ahead. You started to say something. Yeah, I just, I like the idea. He made such a big deal out of the fact that, and that's not insulting. It's just saying he made such a very big deal out of the fact that this is a fancy, organic, hipster grocery store. Mm -hmm. So if that is their end goal, it's like if you're just trying to establish the world, then establishing that they're going to an organic hipster uh, or a hipster grocery store or something like that is fine. But because it's mentioned with such detail, then you got to have some kind of thing that either one of the three characters desperately needs from that store and it can only be that store and then also there are little things 
that established that this is our world because he drops brand names in there. So mm-hmm. we're getting an idea that this is also partially, you know, our world that we're living in. Right. Um, but it's, it's, if the idea is this, this strangeness, this magic strangeness, the magic is not being treated as strange, it's being treated as norm. And right. that takes away the power of the hipster organic uh, fancy grocery store too because if everything if, if you're giving off the impression that all of this magic and strangeness and stuff is the norm then whatever they need could be anywhere they, they it could be any grocery store out there because it's they're going to cater to all different types yes um i i need to mention something here um in how to revise your novel uh one of the things that students learn how to do is figure out weights and promises that they have made. When you have a noun with three descriptives in front of it... um, You're making a very big promise. That's a massive promise. Fancy, organic, hipster. Okay, it's a grocery store by itself. Is, you know, everybody has them. But if it's a fancy, organic, hipster grocery store, that process promise weighs heavily in the reader's mind that the thing that you have described so significantly in the very first sentence of the scene, very first sentence, very first thing we see, that this is essential to what happens in this scene. It has to come back. Yeah, they and have the same be... with the name brands. It, yes. It's, it's saying if you're dropping a name brand, then it's it's saying something important. Now, with the name brand of his mom's clothes, considering their kind of basic like name brand clothes then that would go further to establish the ideal society and and the economic range of his mom and his family and what their importance are because if name brands are mentioned then then brand names are important to the mom etc that that is less than than this unnamed very very important um organic grocery store yeah like just oh, like God. you said and you mentioned it f- the first thing right off and you give it so many descriptions or so much description that you're assuming that at the end there's going to be something that happens at that store or that there is something that they need specifically from that store okay which takes us very nicely to the second part of this page of the worksheet. I had two other possibilities for this. It can provide the prize of their introductory quest, where um, a special sunblock for the vampire or an ingredient that might help the dog to briefly attain human form or some other thing can only be carried by that very fancy grocery store. Um, or, Or other things like that, where... Where the reason that it's that kind of grocery store provides them for their first mission, their first objective, the first thing that that starts to show the problems they face in the world if this is not just business as usual for everyone. Yeah, and I think that part of that, it's a good thing that you mentioned the the thing from How to Revise Your Novel, the promise weight mm-hmm. of those words. Because if you're just trying to set the setting, and let's say that it's Portland, Oregon, and everybody pretty much knows that's a hippie place. It's, that's so funny because that was the thing that I got from that first sentence is this yeah. is Portland, Oregon. Yeah, me too. Yeah, if and it if, isn't. 
yeah <laughs> if it isn't then i mean that's that's the same vibe you're still going for but if mm-hmm. if you are if you want that to come across you can do it with less on the one place and and have more little bits and pieces along the journey so it's a hipster grocery store that they're going to or it's an organic grocery store and they pass a hipster they pass a white boy with dreadlocks they they pass um an a a, a hippie artist doing something on the street uh, they pass a a fancy a, a woman dressed fancy doing something crazy that they would do there there's a bunch of performance artists in okay. Oregon, in Portland. So you could you could pick different little pieces and not put so much weight to the one location. Instead, put the weight on the world building yeah. separately. Yeah, because as it is right now, you are promising by the end of the scene something important about that grocery store is going to affect the scene itself. Okay, finally, what is the final outcome of the scene? And this is the next page, sorry, in the worksheet. And the question is, what is the final outcome of the scene? There isn't one. This is a flat expository summary. Um, It is making friends with monsters is hard. There is no change and there is no compelling reason that you have given the reader to keep reading. Yeah, there's Uh, also no truth to the end statement. There's There's no, like, supporting of that statement when everything you've shown so far has been actually pretty easy. Yeah, that they're already they already look like friends. Yeah, they're already they established al- relationships. Yes, there is they're not finding anything new out about each other. There's no awkwardness. Um, there is no uh, holy crap when when something happens in the scene to one of them that brings out some new facet of that character that the narrator hasn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the girl has to, has to walk around a giant mud puddle uh, because she can't, go th- she can't cross water because she's a vampire. Or, you know, whatever your world building is. That's, that was just, you know, basic vampire world building. Um, okay, so uh, the next question is the last question. With what unexpected change or twist does it end the scene? And there, because there is none, uh, I've given some insteads here. Uh, the hippie at the store has the ingredient, but won't take money. He wants a favor instead. If the you know if the grocery store is the quest and there's some they're going for something, um, the dog pulls them away from their objective. If they are following someone, and the dog is is has been all along following them, then something changes for him or for what they're following, and he says, oh, no, this is bad, and, and says, we, we have to go this way instead. We can't follow this thing we were following before because something bad has happened. That would or, be an especially good twist, specifically because the dog seems so rough and attitude you know, <laughs> that, that the idea of, of him being afraid of something is uh, jarring and not within the character. Yes, exactly. Um, and the third one that I have is some other thing happens that makes their problem worse. So they have to, in the scene, you have to establish a problem first. And in the scene, something happens to make the problem worse because it's way too early to be making the problem better. Um, 
you want a bigger, you, this feels like it is intended to be a very big story in a very big world. Yeah. And you have to kind of gradually get bring us into it with taking us from small problems into bigger story conflicts, whatever those might be. I like the idea, like I've been stuck on two different things in my head for this particular scene. Um, one would be starting off the scene, he's waiting for maybe Lennon to come out of the house and he's sitting there staring mournfully at his bike thinking about the very very recent sudden surprise attack of a kraken that has he, he maybe got away but you know if he is a younger kid you know even in his teens it, that bicycle might mean a lot to him it just depends that's like a car for a kid yeah even even as a teenager my ex-boyfriend used to ride his bike to the high school all the time and mm -hmm. that that's transportation that's freedom so a lot of that the idea that he could be sitting there staring at it you know and and maybe just looking at the wreckage and there's a moment where he you know where that comes out that it was a kraken but we have this moment of sympathy for him oh god yeah. yeah beforehand and then all of a sudden it's like a kraken and you're like what the fuck and then she so lennon comes out and maybe she's in his mom's clothes because Portland, Oregon, if this is the location, is normally very wet. You know, a, a lot of Oregon, there's a lot of weather and, and a lot of it is wet. Um, <laughs> a lot of weather. Everywhere has a lot of weather. But it's, so you could say, you could have something in there about how she was not prepared for the sunlight. And now she looks like a tomato. And then we're kind of just hinting in there that, okay, well, sun is a problem for her somehow. And yeah. then, you know, you start off with the dog who has an attitude coming out. There's, there's a lot of little ways to get the same things in, but using the different techniques to kind of build that this is, this is all a surprise. Like, this is all not the world is normal because getting your bike destroyed from a crack in... It's, as much as I love that line and as much as a surprise as that line was, if this is not business as usual, as Holly has been saying, then that line is not appropriate for the the book. I mean, if, if all of this right. is new, then you would have to be really, really good at establishing otherwise in order to still use that line. That line, but the event itself is so damn good that it needs to be in there. And showing the kid's bike getting eaten by a kraken? Well, yeah, showing, the, I mean, the yeah. fact that he kept it that shows how important that bike is to him. Because, again, bikes are freedom. Not every kid is 16 mm -hmm. and, and can afford a brand new car. And so yeah. it's 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 important to show that if this bike was important to him, if this bike was a method of transportation... That, you know, it, and it meant something to him. Having him have kept that wrecked, absolutely smashed, demolished, totaled bike, it it, right. it, ha it shows a bit of character and it shows a bit of his own personal situation. Yeah, yeah. That's There are a lot of different ways you could go on that. That's a, such an important thing to show. But Becky is absolutely right. We have to know that this is not business as usual. Yeah. Okay, so that takes us, on that note, to the last scene. 
All right, so this last section has been recorded on a different day. We have had incredible amounts of difficulty with this damn, with this damn episode. <laughs> we so, have. Yeah, so I am going to basically, uh, I don't have the scene, so the last one is going to be read by Holly, and then she's going to dissect it and go through everything like, like we have been doing. Um, but th this is basically going to be a, a fresh read for me because it's been weeks yeah, since, it's been a while. Yeah, since the yeah. last one, so. I was woken from my sleep by a sound. My shoulders were stiff from target practice earlier in the day and protested as I turned over on my pallet. The dorm was quiet and lit only by the moon. The noise came again. Reb slept in the pallet next to mine, but he wasn't sleeping now. He was shuddering and trying to stifle sobs. Reb, I whispered, what ails you? A gasp, more shuddering. I ran my hand over my face, trying to wake up properly. I pulled my blanket back, stood up gingerly, and knelt beside his pallet. Reb, I put my hand gently on his shoulder and yanked it back. He was burning up. He moaned, near? I'm here, I whispered. Are you ill? Hurts. My eyes. My ears. My skin. You're hot. You have a fever, I said. Let's get you to the infirmary. I stood up and pulled his blanket back. Can you walk? He turned over, but no sooner had he opened his eyes than he closed them again and covered them with his hands. Too bright. Too bright. All I could see were shadows and reflections. He began to cry softly. Help me near. Too much noise. I was at a loss. This wasn't an ordinary fever. Here, take my hand, Reb, I said quietly. Boys nearest us were beginning to stir. Reb's eyes were still covered, so I took hold of his elbow to help him stand. I let go with a hiss of pain. He was hotter than before. Help me, he cried out and stumbled out of his pallet. The rest of the dorm woke up, and there were curses aimed at us for disturbing their sleep. What's wrong, Nier? Rokris's voice was louder than the rest. Go get the infirmarian, will you? Reb's not right. And a horrible suspicion was forming in my mind. Rokris hesitated only an instant, and then sprinted out of the dorm. The other boys were now sitting up and watching us sleepily. I need you all to be quiet, I told them, and then turned to Reb, who was openly moaning and shuddering. Reb, have you magic? He'd not shown any signs. Indeed, he'd not have been offered a scholarship if he had been. So this made no sense. But if I put that aside, everything that was happening now suggested he had. Magic. The words skimmed round the dorm, with tones ranging from awe to scorn. Scared, near. Everything hurts. My father's advice was there in my mind, reminding me of how to handle this. Keep calm. They feel everything, and even our thoughts can be enough to injure them. Help the poor wretch come down slowly. I took a deep breath. No need for fear, Reb. I'm here. We'll get through this together. Just breathe with me. He tried. I'll give him that. But then his breath faltered. Burning. Can't breathe. Then he roared. I froze, aware of boys behind me running, calling out, escaping. I couldn't take my eyes off Reb. Nothing recognizable remained of my friend. He was bigger, bulkier. The heat from him was stifling. He opened his eyes. Oh, gods, his eyes. Two yellow blazing suns in the night. They focused on me, stared right through me. I could feel it, and it punched a hole through my gut. I see you. No longer the voice of my friend. The voice was low and rough like rocks tumbling over a mountain. His fist swung out and he grabbed hold of my shirt, dragged me closer. 
I was going to die. The skin on my chest burned. This was the end. Death, not in battle, but at the blazing hands of I knew not what. I see you. Not good enough. He flung me from him, and I hit the opposite wall. The breath left my lungs, and I slid down to the floor, my vision blurred and dimmed. When my eyes cleared, guards were surrounding the creature, roars and lashing fists. One guard's pommel caught its temple, and down it went. They, uh, they loaded the unconscious creature onto a stretcher and carried away. And carried it away. I never saw my friend Reb again. Yeah, I really like that one. Yeah, yeah, that was, that one is pretty close to a pro level right there. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I was really happy to see it and really happy to read it. And uh, it was, it was just, that's close. That's really close, guys. So, okay. Um, do you have any, any reactions on that? I'm going to Yeah, go I mean, I, I like it. It was, it, I remember when I read it. Uh, for the recordings that we lost it was <laughs> it was a little bit difficult to read but I think like you said it's just the the writing style of it mm-hmm. um, yeah the, clearly like the, set in like the past in a, a, a or medieval-ish it, yeah, sort of this, yeah. this kind of alternate world um, mm-hmm. and the it's just it, some of it didn't flow off the tongue but that's fine because <laughs> that's the, we saw yeah <laughs> that's fine because that's that's the point I, I liked the idea of this this the, what I'm getting is that it's a military training camp for for younger kids mm-hmm. that it's um, it, I'm getting the feeling that this is um, not necessarily draft but that this is a this is an expected route for well, young like men. a military school maybe. Yeah, well, that's what I said, and yeah. but it it feels it feels like it's a um, um, kind of like an expectation of them to to go in there, and I like the fact that the boy has the information from his father. You're kind of left wondering, like, okay, well, the way the military acted towards the the person, the the fact that he didn't say Reb anymore until the very end, that it was this creature. Um, there's a lot of assumed world building like mm-hmm. like you assume as the reader that there has been this world building built in and that that people hit certain marks that he is capable of saving this this kid but maybe he shouldn't have that knowledge i don't know there's there's just a lot of really neat questions that this this scene brings up yeah yeah so with that um i i got a lot of the same things so i'm gonna go to the worksheets here and bring up the works, uh, the, the questions, and then we can just go through each one. But as I said, I think this one is pretty close to pro at this point. Okay. What is the point of this scene? Why does this conflict matter to the story? And my response on that was, one boy loses his friend to a magic that transforms the friend into a monster. That's yeah, a big the, conflict. Yeah, the conflict is that he loses his friend, and why does it matter? Is because well, apparently it can strike anyone at any time, and you don't know. Right now, as the reader, you don't know what causes it. You don't know. The, uh, clearly, the, there was no indication that this kid could have this problem in the future. You're also left wondering, like, well, if it's a military school, if they're in there, if they're in there to be 
um, trained in stuff, then they that you're assuming they have limited access to the outside world, that the outside world has limited access to them. So how did he contract this magic? Or was it something that was always in him, but if there's no indication, then that's frightening. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of conflict involved in this one scene. Yeah, there really is. Um, the next question on the worksheet is, how have you shown your conflict? What essential actions take place that move your story forward? Um, I have nine things here that were essential oh, actions. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, protagonist uh, near awakes to the sounds of Reb's distress. Uh, the friend, Reb, is feverish and light hurts his eyes. The, he becomes, Reb, becomes sensitive to sound and is panicked. He then becomes too hot to touch, uh, which is the intro, intro to the other world. This is the point where we go from a possible basic military thing to magic. And, and it was very, very subtly and very lightly done. Yeah. Um, the protagonist asks, have you magic? And thinks through a protocol from his father for saving people who have. And this was a, a, what if it was done by intent. This is a lovely little bit of world building that se- suggests that magic might be a disease. Yeah. Um, and if it isn't that, it was still good. But my mind jumped to, ooh, have you magic? That ain't good. Yeah. Nice. Um, uh, then the sixth one is, but friend won't calm and gets bigger and then monstrous, which again shows us the magic, and does it in a kind of big, not subtle way, uh, which all was also very good. Reb, number seven, Reb in monster form attacks near. So a friend is changed into something that doesn't recognize him as a friend. That's a big deal. Eight, guards capture and remove the monster. So it introduces the presence of guards, which up until that point was not implied or suggested or anything. It's just guards, oh crap. And then nine, I never saw my friend Reb again, which to me asks a question. Does he, however, once again meet the monster? Yeah, I know that that's a big point for you. I also wanted to say there was a little bit extra. um, What was the question again? I want to see if Uh, this fits it. Okay, the question was, how have you shown your conflict? What essential actions take place that move your story forward? I like the fact that while everybody else is panicking, the main character is torn. You, as you're reading it, you get this feeling like he's he's concerned. So mm-hmm. he knows that there is this there's this reason to fear his, his what his friend is going through. But there is also this other side of him that is putting the individual over the disease. Um, that is keeping calm, trying to stay logical, sticking with his father, which is not what the, possibly the military school is teaching you because these guards come in and just immediately, you know, go after him, which this is fine. That's what they're trained for. Right. But there is this other, there's this conflict within the character that where he's acting differently, where he is, yeah. Because he sees a possibility that nobody else sees. Mm Mm-hmm which really suggests something deep about him just in that yep. just in that little line man yeah yeah and i really liked that and i think that that's one of those essential things that moves the conflict story the the story forward because you realize that okay well there there is there is a a future where this character it, it, i think too the fact that he loses his friend mhm is going to make him more 
motivated to not lose people again and yeah. to save others. Yeah. And and that that what you brought up there is is it establishes him immediately as this kid is not like the others. He is in a dorm full of boys, but he's the only one who responds that way. I'm bringing this back in on that. Becky is enthralled because she just got a a chair lumbar support and um, tailbone re- recess cushion set for her yes. chair, and and she she is the happiest I have seen her in quite some time. Oh yeah, I I am just. I think the the butt cushion might take a little bit of adjustment, but I mean, just the fact that I'm sitting here and it's like, I've, I've had some back issues recently and the lumbar support thing up on the top. Oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) Immediate relief. That's incredible. But yeah. Um, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. That was worth stopping for. Yeah. Okay. So now we're back and now we're going to, um, the next set of questions. Yes. And they are, who changes in this scene, the scene protagonist, and why? And my answer on this is there are two scene protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, Nier fails to save a friend from magic and loses the friend. And Reb, who at the, still at this point being Reb, is a scene protagonist, fails to accept offered help with dangerous magic and loses himself. Yeah, it, it's not even that he he it, it he wanted to accept the help. He was asking yeah. for help, right. and I love the idea of this this scene having both protagonists. You mm-hmm. know, there because it's a tragedy for both, right? Because both of them lose something that is you know that we assume at this point is important to both of them. <laughs> you know, yeah, being friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's there is there is a massive change for both, even though one is uh, more visually apparent. I think the other one is is going to be uh, pretty devastating. Right. Um, so the second part of that is how do you show this character's change? And both changes were shown very well. Mm-hmm. Near in attempting to save his friend. Um, r- yeah, near yeah, in yeah. attempting to save his friend is thrown against a wall and rendered helpless uh, when advice he was given doesn't work. And loses the friend forever. Big changes. Well, um, the advice he was given didn't work, but I have a feeling it was because it was too late. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm thinking the advice was good. Uh, he just didn't have either the skills or the technology or the knowledge or, or just the time. W- yeah, I'm thinking yeah. it was timing because, I mean, he woke up and the kid was already increasing in fever to the point where he couldn't even be touched. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a hot fever, man. That's yeah. that's some scary shit. Okay, so then the second thing, Reb does not accept or is incapable of accepting help, becomes consumed by a dangerous magic, is transformed into a violent, dangerous monster, and is captured and removed. Removed. Uh, that's a whole long list of changes that happened to him. Yeah, and, and it's all a very were, short scene. Yeah, five hundred words. Yeah, yeah. So there was much, much accomplished in this scene. Okay. Uh, so our next section: Who or what is the obstacle, the scene antagonist, that must be overcome in this scene, and why? Magic. This, yep. The scene antagonist here is the magic that claims and destroys one boy in spite of the actions of his friend. Yeah. So that is magic that is anchored in the world and given given points from two different characters dealing with it and is shown very well. How can you best show this to your reader? This is a big case of show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, the magic is corralled by armed guards 
kept close to the dorm, implying a level of constant danger and risk. Um, this is also shown by a terrible, destructive transformation of a boy into a monster, and it is suggested by the phrase, have you magic, which implies a disease state or a curse rather than something to be desired, which is a very different way of handling magic, which is usually the thing, every, thing everybody wants. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it was well done in the scene. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, where does this scene take place, and why does the setting matter? Uh, you want to take a shot at this before I go in with the list? Yeah, so my assumption is um, this: the setting... So the setting matters because it's it's this cloistered area with with a lot of boys. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to me why it matters, um, mm -hmm. with a lot of potential victims that the... This, the the near nearness of help the the fact that this is a military area you're you're assuming i mean you're given the the, the thought that this is a military area they they come in with guards so you've you've got people who are you know already trained in handling the situation so they can they can take the situation well <laughs> yeah. um the so this has happened before well see i didn't i didn't necessarily gather that but i knew the the fact that they arrived so quickly, the fact that they handled it very quickly, all done, mm -hmm. they at least this is what maybe they're training people to handle. Um, the the setting also matters, I think, because it's you know it's it's night and this it's full of people who don't know how to handle this situation. The 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 room is intended to have all of these people who maybe are still learning how to handle this situation. Right. And again, it. it it makes it so that there is no saving for this kid. Right, right. You covered a lot of the stuff that I covered. Um, high risk to dorm inhabitants, potential, potential danger from without, potential danger from within. Um, things that I noticed also, this is a low comfort s scene. Yes, um, yes. They, they're on pallets, not beds. Uh, so these are not, not privileged boys in a rich, comfy dorm. This is guys who are living pretty close to, pretty close to, to sleeping on the ground. Which um, is kind of why I thought that it was like there was this expectation of being there. And it could yeah. actually not be that they're not privileged. It could just be that this is how they train them. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. You, you don't. But you they don't, are not treated with any sort of, of reverence or yes. social, having any sort of social status given to anybody in particular. Yes. This is just, exactly. everybody's the same here. It's kind of Spartan, I think, is what, what I pulled from get. it. That's what you get. Yeah. And yeah. even if even if they do say pallet, I was I was assuming not necessarily like all wood, but I was assuming like there might have been some like thin mattress spread on top, some kind of, but it's not about comfort. It's, right. you know, it's, that might be just what they call the beds, mm -hmm. but they're not really bed that beds. Does, yeah, that does imply that this is not a thing built for comfort. Yes. That's, that's right yes. in the word. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the target practice that leaves the shoulders sore was a little bit of world building mm -hmm. that uh, tells me that these guys are fighting with um, bows or other primitive ranged weapons because shoulders are sore. And if you're if you're drawing a bow, you're getting pulled oh. on both shoulders. See, I where it could have been a high impact rifle or shotgun. Yeah, that's um, the that I could have been, but for the next thing, um, which was there is uh, a pommel 
that the kid that the monster is knocked out with. Oh, the yeah, pommel yeah, okay. is the heavy end of a sword. A sword, yeah. So he, he is hit on the head with a sword and knocked out. But and I will get to this later because there's this is a really important point. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The bow, uh, the 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 suggestion of bows and arrows by both shoulders being sore, mm-hmm. um, and then the very very delicate hint of pommel being the, the the guards are carrying swords. So the next question then is, how can your setting be an active participant in the scene? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, that it implies the obstacles faced by the world. It brings home specific obstacles faced by the protagonists, you know, the monsters and, and, and things. Yeah. Um, it provides the world rules that will limit the options for the rest of the story. One, magic as a dead, deadly disease, at least if I'm reading this correctly. Two, a guard subduing a monster with a pommel, which has multiple meanings. The weighted yes. bottom of the handle of a sword. So, very limited technology where weapons con- are concerned. Um, but, the monster will not be killed, which raises the question, what does this world do with its monsters? Yes, and that was one of the things that I think we should have mentioned in the conflict, too. But yeah, it's it's why didn't he, why did he use the pommel? Mm-hmm. Why didn't he use the blade? Right. What what is so and and I think that this is a point that you mentioned before uh, in our last recording. Mm-hmm. Is, yes. Um, is there a chance he's going to see his friend again? Because that's important. And but not they, as his friend. Yes. And it, if they kill if if they didn't kill him, you know what? Why? Why? Yeah. Right. And that Why? is incredibly subtle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. You get that from the pommel of a sword hitting a head. Mm-hmm. That entire massive conflict storyline. This is where it hits the pro level right here. If this was intended, that was beautifully done. Yeah. If it wasn't, that's a toy on the floor. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's a perfect example of, of, of a toy on the floor. That yeah. really is. Because a yeah. lot of people I know, they've been asking, like, well... You know, can we give examples? And there you go, right there. Yeah. That is, is an example of a toy on the floor. If the writer did not actually a- a- intend for the question to be raised in the reader's mind, why didn't they kill the monster? Then there's a whole bunch of world building that follows with, well, what are they going to do with the monster? Because they didn't kill him. They just knocked him out and dragged him off. Yeah. So... So th- this this has all sorts of both kind of bright and kind of dark implications. Yes. Okay. Final. What is the final outcome of this scene? And my answer on that was Reb, the kid who became a monster, is removed. While Nir, the kid who tried to save him, notes that he never sees his friend again. I'm putting air quotes around his friend. But yeah, the, with, with, the, <clears throat> with the air quotes, I like that because there is left to question mm-hmm. you know is he going to see you know is that that guy just gone and and he really never sees reb or the the, the monster version of reb again and mm-hmm. um and that is just something that has formed his life decisions in the future or and this is where you were going with this yeah does he see the monster again and is that part of the conflict that he has to to solve at least for the first book right is that he knows this was his friend 
he knows this is that monster and where does he go from there yeah yeah this has a, the feel of a series mm-hmm. because there's a lot of small small moments that build a gigantic world in very um, few words yeah yeah this is this gives you the feeling uh and, and again he reb could be the monster he has to to quote slay by the end of the the book or it could be motivation to change but i really do feel like if if it's not bringing reb back you're missing out on a really really important yes um moment yes for the characters and... for the readers everybody yeah yeah um okay so then what unex- <clears throat> with what unexpected change the twist does this scene end? The final ang- outcome hangs a little flat as written. Yeah. And that was my my sole complaint with this particular scene is that a single line, like, which isn't to say that Reb and I never crossed paths again, would provide a strong twist and hook the reader into keeping going to find out what happens when friends turned into enemies meet again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and if you don't want to let him know he's coming back, there's there's other ways to handle the situation. You don't even mm-hmm. need to, to to end it with "I never saw my friend again." Right. Um, you you can you you can change it in different ways to add the twist. But I felt like yeah, that's the only thing that that scene was lacking was was a real was a real twist. Now that right. there was obviously the twist of the character changing but that's mm-hmm. that's the, the conflict of the entire scene right. so you can't use that as a twist as well exactly exactly the thing that keeps the reader turning the page is okay well how does what i saw happen in here how how am i moving into that next and something along the lines of uh which isn't to say that reb and i never crossed paths again which is just one of a multitude of different ways to go um is is needed. Yeah. That last line, as it is, doesn't move the story forward. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it could be that it just feels like a, a flash fiction at that point. I mean, that would that would even work as a flash fiction. But I, I feel like you'd be missing out on the entire world. And oh, I, I want to know more. And yeah. 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 So. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I do. I think that this writer really nailed it. Um, mm-hmm. Except for that twist. That's the only thing that, that, like you said, it falls kind of flat. It's just like, oh, that's it? <laughs> like, you, right. you want there to be something else that, that hooks you, like you said, to, to go to the next page. The essential things that happen in a scene need to matter. And the fact that he was, that the kid tried to save him and was able, unable to, and that he turned into a monster in, fight, in spite of the kid trying to save him, you can't just drop that then, you know, mm-hmm. you can't just say goodbye to that character forever. You have made promises, big promises with the interaction between those two and the implication that there was a way to save him if only something. Yeah. You know, we don't know what the if only is, yeah. but if only something, Reb could have been saved. And that at this point is what the story's about. If that's not what the story's about, then you need to focus a little bit more on where you're actually going with it. But yeah. as it is right now, man, you have nailed a scene. Yeah, it, if, it, <laughs> if it wasn't, if it's not, if the focus isn't 
Reb in some fashion or form coming back. Right. You could make it just somebody who's not even his friend. Somebody who right. doesn't, because that would, that would clear that up. So I feel like there was, there, it, the way that I got it from this is that the timing was the problem. Now, it might not be, but the, you, as a reader, you go to certain conclusions. And we're all different, so we're all going to have different conclusions that we jump to. Or a lot of times, you know, if it's if it's written in a certain way, you, you've got, you know, a logical limitation of conclusions that you leap to. But my my idea is that it's timing. So so maybe he's just going to live the rest of his, you know, career in the in the military or whatever whatever life long arc he has he's going to carry in his mind I didn't get to him soon enough I didn't get to him soon enough so he's going to always be on alert for every single person that he cares about and watching them and and trying to see these subtle changes because I don't know how quickly this grows I don't know what the the um period of when you get sick the incubation period. Yes, the incubation period is. But it, it could have, if he had been alert enough, maybe he could have caught it during the day. Maybe there were these subtle little hints, like he was just sweatier than normal. Or, you know, maybe it just ramps up there a lot at the end. But it has an incubation period of 12 hours or 48 hours or something. So, to me, there's a lot of emphasis put on... There is a cure, there is a, a way to help people through this. And also if that is not the if that is not something you wanted in the story, then you you're gonna have to take out a lot of the scene. Yeah. Because yeah. that was a really, really important bit of conflict that was also really engaging. Yeah. This this is an awesome scene. It might not have been the scene that you intended to write, but this is an awesome scene that has a really good book behind it and probably a really good series. Yeah, this so, is what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so before we get to the takeaway, I just want to remind you guys there is a free download on our website, alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. It is linked to this particular um episode so you're going to have to look up scene dissection on our episode if, if you are not listening to this as it comes out uh, this Tuesday but it's free you don't need to drop an email you don't need to do anything like that you just click on it and can download it directly from the site follow us on the socials AIARWIP on Twitter alone with invisible people on Instagram alone in a room with invisible people on Facebook and hollyswritingclasses.com the account is free you get a bunch of cool free stuff you can drop into the podcast forums, clearly labeled, and just, you know, ask questions or share your own scene dissections and see what other people come up with. You, you get involved in other people's scene dissections as well, kind of do a quid pro quo thing. But this, this is about making your scenes better, about trying to show uh, just what you want, just enough, you know, leave it tantalizing. This, this mm -hmm. scene dissection worksheet it was a lot of work Holly put into building it. But it's also really good. It's also a really, really good worksheet. As you can see, like we've been able to go through all of these scenes, and it it's a powerful. The scene is is so powerful, but I feel it's often overlooked because people look at the the story as an overall. Right. They look at the characters as an overall, but each scene individually is so powerful and is a tool by itself, and. Yeah. So these worksheets are available for you guys to definitely work on your own scene dissection. Um, finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. If you want to buy any of Holly's 
books, ebooks, courses, any of that stuff, she does ask that you buy it from the affiliate links. It does not cost you anything extra. And if you are interested in being an affiliate, you can find more information at hollyswritingclasses.com. So what is the takeaway? Okay, the takeaway is three questions. First, with a good scene, you always ask, what changes? Second, you ask, who cares? And third, you ask, why does it matter? And if while you are writing, you are keeping those three questions in mind, you will come up with much better scenes. Yeah, nice. Okay. Well, that has been our episode on scene dissection that took us a multitude of weeks to record. <laughs> and you guys are all getting it in one big chunk, I think. I, I don't know if we're <laughs> splitting this up into two or what, but you guys are, are getting it all as if it was just so easy to record. So. <laughs> and Ooh. I didn't break things and we didn't have stuff crash and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode. Remember, if you have any questions, go into the forums and, and we're all in there. You know, Holly and I make it as much as we can but we've got a ton of really really great people in there they're all great people we've got writers of different levels people asking questions and people answering questions and you never know even as a beginning writer you might be able to help somebody because somebody else might have a question that only you can answer so you know also if people have questions go in there and ask them or email us at show at alone with invisible people.com yeah. because if you have a question you are not the only one that has that question Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to say we love you guys and we will see you next week for the next episode, Holly. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. I hope you had fun and write with joy. You can do this. Hey guys, Rebecca here. If you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you will have noticed we have new theme music behind our intro. This is done by Truth. He is a friend of mine. Uh, I believe he is a veteran of the United States Air Force. Uh, he was a friend of Mark's and I have met him online. He <laughs> refused payment. He did not even ask for credit, but I told him I was going to give him credit and also play the song in its entirety at the end because I love it so much. Uh, he basically created this super quick. It did not need any edits whatsoever. I absolutely adore it. And you can, if you're interested in seeing what else he's done, he, you can find his website at truthmusicstore.com. I hope you guys enjoy the music. Have a great week.